Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, but our show is not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight's, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And on some shows, we host programs about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, you've heard topics as diverse and as illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some history in the city. We've looked at the history of women activists and the suffrage movement in New York, including in Brooklyn. We've looked at the history of different immigrant communities, including people who were brought here as enslaved people. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've looked at bicycles. They've been here for 200 years, believe it or not. We've looked at the history of punk and opera, two of my favorite musical subjects. We've looked at our public library systems. We actually have three of them in New York, not one, not two, but three. We visited the subway and its art, looked at some of our greatest train stations, and even took a virtual walk over some of our bridges. After the broadcast, you can catch our shows. We're on on podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other services. Tonight, we're going back across the East River uh, to a neighborhood that I've been to but don't know as well as others. And I'm speaking about Red Hook, which is in a corner of Brooklyn that more people should know about and visit than actually do. Uh, my first guest is a returning expert to Rediscovering New York. It's expert tour, he's expert tour guide Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is a licensed tour guide. He's a New York native, and he's the owner of Custom NYC Tours. His small group of private walking tours focus on the city's neighborhoods, its history, art, and architecture. He also serves on the board of the Guides Association of New York City, one of the oldest and most active tour guide associations in the United States. And yes, we have one here in New York. Jeremy Wilcox, welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. You are originally from New York. What part of the city are you from? I grew up in a neighborhood in sort of, I guess, southeast um, Queens called Richmond Hill. And now I live here in Flatbush in Brooklyn. I went to college in in Manhattan at Hunter College. So a lot of uh, New York throughout my whole life. I don't know, one of my uh, little disappointments, well, major disappointments in my 20s, I don't know if I ever told you, my college roommate was going to move to the city and I found this great apartment in Richmond Hill, the upper two floors of this uh, Victorian. But uh, uh, Jay decided at the last moment that he wasn't going to move to New York and I was on my own. Um, But anyway, I got to explore Richmond Hill a lot when I was doing that. Um, when did you first, oh, and where, and what part of the city do you live in now, Jeremy? In Flatbush, just south of Prospect Park. Another beautiful part of, of Brooklyn and New York. When did you decide to go into the business of designing and leading tours? Uh, it was actually just about five years ago this month. Um was kind of looking for a change of life, change of career. And I love just wandering around the city and exploring different neighborhoods like Red Hook and others. And um, I would drag friends along and show them and tell them about the history I'd read about it along the way. And eventually I realized, hey, I could actually find a way to make money from this and bring people along with me and 
show them my favorite neighborhoods. And so I've been doing that for exactly five years now. Oh, great. I'm going to ask you about some of your programming at the beginning of uh, the second part of our of our time together tonight. Um, Red Hook, uh, the names of so many New York neighborhoods have really interesting origins. Some of them have fascinating oranges. At first glance, the name Red Hook would appear to have English words at its root, like some neighborhoods do, but it doesn't completely, does it? No, actually, the name uh, goes back to like my home neighborhood of Flatbush to the Dutch colonial era. Um, when the Dutch settled it in the early 1600s, uh, they called it Road Hook. Um, and that basically, you know, it's kind of a very literal um, translation. And basically the red part uh, came from the color of the sort of the soil and the clay that was underneath the ground here. And the, uh, the hook was basically the point of the uh, geographically of where it sort of stuck out into uh, New York Harbor. Kind of like Corlear's hook and uh, jutting out into the East River from the Lower East Side. Exactly. Be a hook, but it's not. You know, it's interesting because you look at a map of Red Hook now and you see um, uh, the Erie Basin and around it. And for the longest time until I knew the origin, I thought that that was the hook, you know, and somehow it was red colored, but it really wasn't. Um, I like to, you know, a lot of people who talk about the history of the city focus on Europeans who first came, but I like to. uh, acknowledge and uh, honor the people who were here before, the Lenape people. Um, were Lenape people actually um, uh, living and doing things in the the part of Brooklyn that would become Red Hook? Or was it just not... not oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that whole area, particularly actually um, the sort of local chief uh, of that sort of region uh, was named Gowane, and that's where the name of the nearby Gowanus Canal, which was originally the Gowanus Creek, uh, came from, uh, from the chief of that tribe who inhabited that part of what is now Brooklyn. When did the Dutch first settle in what would become Red Hook? In the 1630s uh, is when they first um, settled there. Obviously, like Lower Manhattan, the new Amsterdam colony, they settled close to the water, close to where their ships could be. But the Dutch uh, who settled in this part of Brooklyn actually had uh, a certain part of their farming that was not that common in other places where they farmed. Uh, No, they were doing, you know, obviously, depending on where they were, there was various farming and there was tobacco farming, but they also had a lot of dairy farms um, down in the area as well. Um, So it was very different from what you would certainly different from what you would have found on the other end of the East River uh, up in, you know, New Amsterdam or certainly different than you would have found up in Flatbush or, you know, Bushwick or those Dutch areas. Well, one thing, because of all the water, uh, I, I, it was fascinating to learn that the Dutch actually had built mill ponds mm-hmm. so they could take advantage of the tides. When the tides would come in, they would block water off. And then when it would leave, that would actually uh, activate the mills that they could use to uh, grind uh, grain or anything else that was in the, that was in the mills. And grain was, yeah, a very big part of Red Hook for a very long time. This, there's this kind of fun abandoned relic just away from Ikea old grain silo that's still there it's technically landmarked it's it's a bit of an eyesore at this point um but it's still there so the history of red hook and grain is is very old Mm. you know a lot of just a little aside a lot of people uh uh don't realize that uh the the cradle of the industrial revolution was in britain in the 18th century 
But when the Dutch uh, harnessed wind power, you know, I went to this uh, uh, reconstructed town in the Netherlands called Zanseschans, and they have windmills. And, you know, you kind of look at windmills and they look kind of picturesque and they look pretty and they look quaint. But you actually go into one of them and there's really a lot of machinery that's grinding stuff that's mixing paint and and not just grinding wheat, but doing a whole bunch of other things. And the Dutch were, uh, you know, had 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 invented that. Um one thing uh, that brings attention to the geography in this part of Brooklyn is the waterway between Red Hook and Governor's Island. It's called Buttermilk Channel. You know, unlike some names that you talked about that really don't exactly mean what their English name would imply, Buttermilk Channel really does. Yeah, so uh, the reason they called it the Buttermilk Channel is that there were dairy farms um, in that part of Brooklyn at one point, and the farmers would bring use the channel to bring their milk across the East River to Manhattan to sell it at the markets. Um, and the urban legend, or so it goes of how the name goes, is that the waters were so choppy in the channel that it would literally churn their milk into butter by the time they reached Manhattan. Uh, that's the legend of where the name comes from. Oh, I thought I, th- I thought there was some truth to the story. Uh, <laughs> I think there is. I mean, it, it was those. I've been on the ferries as they make their way in and out of Red Hook. Those are some very choppy waters. So mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that that would happen uh, if you're transporting milk, you know, across that channel. Uh, absolutely. Well, I, I heard from one tour guide that uh, uh, some of the farmers would graze their cows on Governor's Island, and Buttermilk Channel was very was very shallow, and that when they would walk across at low tide. Uh, the water would, uh, you know, hit the udders and that would churn, you know, make the milk into buttermilk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fun it's a fun story at any rate. Um, let's fast forward a little bit to the Revolutionary War. Um, the biggest battle of the war was not only in New York, but was also in Brooklyn and uh, Park Slope and Gowanus. And of course, what became Brooklyn Heights saw a lot of action. Um, what kind of action did the area that would become Red Hook see during the war? Well, Red Hook was very crucial because of its placement in, you know, the, on the waterfront and be- between Governor's Island and uh, and Brooklyn. And there were sort of two forts almost across the Buttermilk Channel from each other. There was Fort Defiance in Red Hook. Um, and then there was the sort of South Battery on Governor's Island. And there's a you know famous incident in early on in the war where British ships were making their way up that waterway and they were being fired on from both ends, from both Governor's Island and Red Hook. Um, and they were mo- basically moving so fast to get away that they didn't even stop until they got up up, up around like Terrytown and uh, mm-hmm. Nyack County and over by Nyack County. So it was those forts were very good at some time for keeping the British away from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I heard that one of the British ships was damaged really badly and had to limp back to its uh, where it was uh, sort of stationing in Staten Island. Um, A lot of uh, New York and the New York area, and of course, Brooklyn was its own city until 1898, but a lot of the area was impacted after the Erie Canal opened in 1825. Um, It certainly impacted the waterfront uh, in what would become Dumbo. Um, how did and New York became the Empire State uh, after the opening of the Erie Canal because of all the the transportation and all the goods that were moving f- from the Midwest? How did that impact the development in Red Hook, Jeremy? So Red Hook went from just kind of a kind of sleepy place of grain mills and things like that to at what at one point was the busiest sort of shipping and container port in the United States of America. Um, So after the Erie Canal is completed, they start building out and sort of creating these artificial basins in Red Hook. You had the the Erie Basin, which obviously is named uh, for the Erie Canal. That's if you're sort of, you know, your Red Hook geography a little, that's the one that's right by 
Ikea. Um, so the Erie Basin is created and also on the sort of other end of the waterfront, actually closer to the Lobster Pound, is the Atlantic Basin. If you've ever taken the NYC ferry um, into Red Hook, that comes into the Atlantic Basin. That's also where the Mary Whalen is and um, some other kind of fun uh, landmarks. So you had these two basins where all the ships would come in and a lot of the stuff that was being brought through the Erie Canal would be offloaded there. Um, and so it was a very important sort of uh, shipping and port for moving the economy along the waterway. Was that part of Red Hook then? Did it become, I have to ask you this question, just hearkening back to some old movies I've seen. Was it the caricature of what rough and tumble docks would have been like in the, in like the 19th century? Putting aside pretty another much. question I'm going to ask you about the 20th and the docks, but. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, everything is not 100% what its old caricatures were. And Red Hook has certainly had many different um, caricatures, some positive and some negative over its history. But yeah, it was, you know, longshoremen and dock workers of various uh, immigrant groups. They were working hard. Um, it was very actually unique as, you know, most of them lived locally. So, you know, they weren't commuters. Uh, they would have lived and worked in the neighborhood. Um, so there was a lot of pride in that. But yeah, they, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough neighborhood because these were working men and uh, they were very protective of their neighborhood as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we take a break, I want to ask you, did um, when Red Hook was being built up as a port after the Erie Canal opened up, um, was it a place where immigrant communities settled? Oh, yeah. I mean, they came there for the jobs and the housing. Um, there were and, and it was again, very varied. I mean, you would have had, you know, African-American dock workers, uh, Irish, uh, people from Scandinavian origins working there. And like I said, what was great about it is because it was such a self sort of contained neighborhood, you would have lived there with your family. They would have been nearby. You would have worked there. It was a very kind of little self-contained almost bubble of a, a town, um, very successfully so for a while. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about historical Red Hook, with Jeremy Wilcox of Custom NYC Tours. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Innings. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. 
Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. to Rediscovering New York and our episode on Red Hook in Brooklyn. This is episode 106 uh, since we started the show. My first guest is Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is the founder and owner of Custom NYC Tours. Jeremy, let's talk about your tour company for a moment. What would you say are some of the unusual things about your offerings compared to what other tour companies provide? Well, one of the things I tried to do from the start even five years ago when I began was to focus on sort of more personal small group walking tours as um, as opposed to, you know, the big bus tours or some of these larger group tours. What I want to do is create a little bit more of a personal experience and to focus on some areas where traditional tour companies hadn't gone like Red Hook or Flatbush or places like that to give people kind of an option for that, again, more intimate tour experience. And as we are beginning to open up more, um, as we come to hopefully what's the tail end of this horrible pandemic, um, what are some of the tours that you're offering in the coming in the coming months? So I've got a lot of my regular tours available. I do a Central Park tour. Obviously, that's all outdoors, very safe, uh, very fun. I uh, do a Midtown Architecture tour, specifically focusing on the Art Deco era of architecture. I do my Victorian Flatbush tour here. I also do street art tours. Um, and sort of a tour of the High Line and Hudson Yard area of Western Manhattan. Those are some of my main offerings. And how can people find out about your tours? They can go to my website, www.customnyctours.com, and they can see a listing of all my tours. I also do, as the name implies, custom tour requests, and folks can just email me there and uh, sort of let me know what they're looking to create. Well, one tour I'm looking forward to doing uh, of yours is Victorian Flappish. Uh, very much so, especially after you were guest on the show uh, a couple of months ago about about the, the Victorian parts of Flappish. It was uh, my most booked 2020 tour because I think it was the tour of mine that most appealed to locals who were looking to do something new. Oh, great. Getting back to Red Hook, um, when did we begin to see the neighborhood physically develop into the place that we would see today? So in the sort of early to mid 20th century, the neighborhood underwent a lot of changes, um, you know, in terms of redevelopment. Obviously, one thing the neighborhood became known for architecturally were the Red Hook houses, which are the largest public housing development in Brooklyn. Um, That was completed in 1939. And um, a lot of the infrastructure around that part of Brooklyn was redeveloped. The Really other big change happened, you know, in the sort of Robert Moses era of uh, New York, where roadways are beginning to literally carve up neighborhoods. And you had the Gowanus Expressway and the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel being built um, in the 
you know, years after World War II, and that literally cuts Red Hook in half. Um, and so traditionally, what we think of today as, as Red Hook would have kind of extended almost all the way to Cobble Hill and certainly would have included what we think of today as Carroll Gardens. Um, but then now there's literally a highway in between those two neighborhoods. So Red Hook just refers to everything sort of south of the highway and these other sort of more well-off parts of Red Hook sort of become their own separate neighborhood identities. Well, the neighborhood and Carroll Gardens, of course, uh, is adjacent to Red Hook on the other side of the of the Gowanus Expressway. Um, were the neighborhoods similar before the tunnel and the highway were built? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, obviously, if you just look at the different sides of the highway where you have some beautiful old by the waterfront in Red Hook, some beautiful old like wood frame houses and just beautiful little row houses. And then obviously the Red Hook housing projects. But then you go to Carroll Gardens right on the other end of the Gowanus Expressway. And it looks like typical brownstone Brooklyn. So the development was very different. And the sort of uh, class of people living on that end of the neighborhood would have been different as well. And of course, we have Robert Moses to thank for uh, uh, as a major designer of these of these infrastructure projects. Um, why did he? Do we know why he decided to build uh, the tunnel where it is now, uh, and also to? Well, obviously, the highway got built where the tunnel was, but were there considerations to build that infrastructure at, at other parts of the of, of the area? Well, one of the uh, main reasons sort of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, for instance, sort of runs along where it does is, you know, in the middle of the tunnel, because it's so long, it needs a ventilation shaft. And if ever you've ever taken the ferry or gone to Governor's Island, you can see on the shore, there's this kind of boxy uh, white structure there off of sort of artificial part of the island. And that is actually sort of an escape tunnel or ventilation system for the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. So you had to kind of run it adjacent under the river to Governor's Island, and that just meant that where it comes out in Brooklyn is basically Red Hook. If I remember, at some point the tunnel does curve a little bit where that cur- where, where the island is. Like it turns right when you're coming from Brooklyn, or it turns left when you're coming from Manhattan. At that point, yeah. If you've driven through the tunnel a lot, you 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 can literally sort of know, be familiar. Like I'm basically right below that uh, that ventilation shaft on Governor's Island, where that sort of curve is. Mm-hmm. And of course, my generation knows, still knows it as the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel and not as the Hugh Carey Tunnel, which it is, honoring uh, the late Governor Hugh Carey. Um, there was a very famous movie that was inspired by a dark side of Red Hook, but also uh, sort of recognizing uh, its its maritime uh, or uh, its maritime history and the underside of that in the uh, in the underworld, and it was actually called On the Waterfront. Um, but they didn't film it in Red Hook, did they? They filmed it someplace else. Yeah, most of it was filmed, I believe, in New Jersey. So it was filmed nearby, uh, but not not in Red Hook, although the Red Hook was the setting and the sort of inspiration for the characters and the sort of drama of that film. Well, continuing before we talk about uh, Red Hook's revitalization, uh, you know, into the 70s and 80s, Red Hook saw a period of decline, uh, an increase in crime. In fact, Life magazine in the early 1990s, uh, during the heyday of American fear and obsession with urban crime, it named Red Hook as one of the worst neighborhoods of the entire U.S. and the crack capital of America. Um, how did that affect how people saw the neighborhood compared to other places that were that was sort of down and out? I mean, obviously, the decline of the docks led to that just as well as, you know, the city as a whole had high crime in that era. Um, but it really changed the way people like when people heard the name Red Hook in the early 1990s and even throughout 
until the beginning of this century, they thought of sort of crime and decay. Um, random like pop culture note, there was a pro wrestler named Taz, whose kind of claim to fame was that he grew up in the Red Hook houses. And that's how you knew he was tough, uh, that he could survive anything if he grew up in Red Hook. So that was kind of the, the, the reputation of it is that, you know, you, it was just, it was very tough and it was very rough. Mm. But the Red Hook from the 80s and the 90s is not the Red Hook that we know and that many people treasure today. How did it start its transformation into the neighborhood we see today? I mean, just like all of New York, you know, uh, crime started to go down and people became more interested. I remember the first business I ever heard where I heard people talking positively about Red Hook was Steve's Key Lime Pies. I had a, f- a friend at a job I used to work with in the early uh, 2000s where she would like every weekend she would go to Red Hook to get Key Lime Pies. And I'd be like, I, it just seemed such a weird thing to me. And then one day I went and I was like, these are very good Key Lime Pies. But, um, you know, the revitalization of the waterfront, a lot of great restaurants start opening up on Van Brunch Street. And then obviously, I think the main thing that drew people there was when Ikea opened, because that was a place that people were going. But part along with Ikea came the ferry. And so now it was much easier for people to get there. One of the difficulties of Red Hook for a long time was it's very isolated from most New York City public transportation, save pre-ferry for one bus line. Oh, yeah, to get there, um, uh, you know, on the usual way of public transport, you have to get off of the F train uh, right at 9th Street and you got to go down that long stairway and then walk across. You got to cross Hamilton Avenue unless you take the bus. But, you know, what New Yorker takes the bus a half a mile? We all walk. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have to walk across that, um, you know, across the avenue and under that and, and under that monstrous highway. Did uh, Ikea help usher in the revival or was it more? of uh sort of on the on on the heels of it i think it's a mix of both it was definitely red hook was beginning its revival a little bit before but i think the key things that happened with ikea um was one they were the you know it was a major chain they were the first ikea in new york city which was a very big deal previously people would have had to go out to new jersey or out to nassau county so now people could do it within the city limits ikea had to cut this deal with the city where you had the ferry um, that you could take uh, more or less for free. And from- it's a great trip. I love taking that ferry to Ikea, even if I don't, sh- even on times when I take it and don't shop at Ikea. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it just, I think it started to happen. And I really think again, um, as Van Brunch Street began its reputation as this like really good restaurant row um, and bars and, and the other shops began there. I just think people really saw it as a destination. I also think it being kind of a waterfront neighborhood helped as well. Um, w- waterfront in New York City is just very, very, very valuable. Because so one thing that negatively impacted Red Hook was the damage from Superstorm Super Sandy. We're going to ask our second guest about it, who lives and, and runs a business in the neighborhood. Um, I want to ask you, what kinds of businesses will, would we find in Red Hook today, Jeremy? Oh, it's a, it's a really amazing variety. I mean, if you were to come mm-hmm. sort of from where the shipping container ports are, first thing you're going to see is a Tesla dealership. Um, and then you've got uh, like chocolate makers. There's two chocolate makers in the neighborhood, uh, whiskey distilleries, wineries, people making metalworks, um, restaurants, bars, uh, gallery, you know, art spaces and galleries, uh, bakeries, um, and then if you go down by uh, the piers, there's a number of really great business people who make their own furniture, glass blowing. It's it's really an amazing variety of commercial enterprises down there. And so, all, many that tap in to the sort of manufacturing history of the neighborhood. 
In fact, our second guest, uh, actually one of the partners in that business, uh, created uh, wood furniture for their business. And we're going to talk to her about that in a couple of minutes. Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, it's always great to see you on Rediscovering New York and to uh, feel and hear your expertise and the love that you have for so many New York neighborhoods. My first guest on this episode of Rediscovering New York about Red Hook in Brooklyn has been Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is the founder and owner of Custom NYC Tours, and you can find out about his tours at www.customnyctours.com. Did I get that right? That's correct. All right, great. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we're going to speak about someone who has lived in Red Hook for a long time and who has opened up a business, actually opened up a business quite a while ago, uh, and she'll have a lot to say about the neighborhood when we come back. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. And you're back to Rediscovering New York. Support from the program comes from our sponsors. Christopher Pappas, mortgage specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 
1-800-273-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. You can like our show on Facebook. It's Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at JeffGoodmanNYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646 646- 306-4761. Our second guest is Susan Povich. Susan is a longtime Red Hook resident and business owner. She graduated from Harvard Law School in 1988. After brief time working in the law, she left the profession to study at the French Culinary Institute. She worked in various restaurants before opening her own business, the Cake Bar and Cafe. After selling the restaurant in 1993 and rededicating herself to the practice of law, Susan closed her firm in 1998 to work with her client, Russell Simmons. After that, she joined the business strategy unit of Universal Music Group. She left Universal in 2006 to work with her family's production company. But the desire to work with food never left her, and that led Susan and her husband, Ralph Gorham, to open the Red Hook Lobster Pound in 2009 in, of course, Red Hook. That summer, they launched their mobile lobster shack at the Brooklyn Flea, one of the earliest food vendors at the market. The business expanded quickly, but sanely, to additional markets and festivals, including two lobster roll food trucks in Washington and one in New York. The New York City truck was anointed as the best food truck in the county in June of 2013. What a moniker. Red Hook Lobster expanded by opening a store in Montauk in 2013 and on East First Street in the East Village in 2014. In 2015, they converted their Red Hook restaurant into a full-service bar and grill and opened an oyster bar as part of the highly successful urban space Vanderbilt Market. Susan and husband Ralph live in Red Hook and in Rockaway, Queens. They have two children, many employees, and no pets, at least not at the moment. Susan Povich, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm so happy to be here. Are you originally from the city? No, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., I left there uh, when I was about 14 years old and lived in Chicago for a bit and then Pittsburgh. And then I was off to college and law school. So, And what brought you to uh, our amazing city? Um, my father moved here when I was in my first year in law school. And my best friend from law school uh, was from here. So my first summer in law school, I came to New York and never left. That was in okay. 1985. Well, home is where the heart is. You know, one thing that strikes me about about your history, you've had, I mean, a circuitous career, like you've had several circles in your career. You're leaving and coming back to the law and to food, both on multiple occasions, not to mention production and entertainment sort of squeeze in, in, in the middle. Do those areas have some common threads for you, Susan? Well, I started out in the law as a clerk for a judge in the United States Court of Appeals. Um, and then I worked at a big law firm for 18 months. But when I, when I came back to the law, I had my own practice in Soho. I had a shingle. I represented artists. I represented filmmakers. I actually represented the root server in Virginia. We were very early um, into what they would call internet law eventually. 
I think I gained incredible satisfaction from having that own practice. And what it really was about was helping people, solving their problems and making them happy. Um, Hospitality, um, which I love, is the same thing. It gives me great joy on an individual level that someone can come into my restaurant, eat a lovely meal and walk away happy. So sort of, I like pleasing people, I guess, in that way. And I like being part of that process and, and sort of manufacturing, uh, manufacturing pleasure. <laughs> well, and uh, um, making it possible for people to experience the joys of lobster. <laughs> that has to be pretty high on the list of, of purveying things Absolutely. that people eat. I love the story about how, and you, how you and Ralph decided to open up your business. Do you want to share it? With, with well, the my family's originally from Maine. My grandfather was raised in Maine. Uh, we were Jews in Maine, um, which meant they spoke Yiddish and kept kosher. So we have this big family house in Maine, and uh, they had emigrated from Poland and Russia, and they, they still spoke Yiddish and still kept kosher. And our, at our big house in Maine, out of respect to my great-grandparents, uh, we still keep kosher. So we had a dock that we would eat lobster on, and we were up there for Thanksgiving, like we are all the time. And we stopped in Portland and picked up some lobster and brought it back to New York. And my husband turned to me and we had just purchased this building in Red Hook that we had originally wanted to build apartments on. But because of Red Hook zoning, which is a bit of a mess, uh, we were unable to. So he turned to me when we were eating the lobster and said, honey, let's open a lobster pound in the building. Let's just sell live lobster. And I said to him, um, my husband had a wood shop in what is now Ikea. There were some amazing docks down there and there were incredible marine artisans. In fact, he rebuilt a propeller shaft for the mass maritime merchant ship out of wood. The propeller shaft was made out of Ipe. Uh, And there were some incredible maritime, um, we had a big dry dock down there. That's why we have dry dock liquors. I mean, there's a lot, all the businesses in Red Hook sort of, most of us sort of reference Red Hook history. I mean, our logo is a lobster, uh, you know, a lobster pound in Maine is where all the boats bring the lobsters in after they've caught them and they leave them in the, in the crates on the dock. So uh, our logo is a tow truck pulling a lobster as a reference to the fact that Red Hook was the biggest tow pound in New York City. It was the sheriff's yard for a long time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. When my talk, when I lived in Borum Hill and my car got towed a couple of times, they towed it to the Navy Yard. But the sheriff, the marshal's um, office was in Red Hook. So we, we opened this business. It was me and my husband. We were open three days a week. Was it a restaurant so, when you first opened it or was it only to- just live lobster? Ah. Um, and uh, we have some, luminaries that live in Red Hook that write for the New York Times. And one of them came in and said, this is amazing. And the next thing we knew, Florence Fabricant came in and it was 2009 and Red Hook hadn't been branded yet. And Brooklyn hadn't been branded yet. It seems crazy, but in 2009, Brooklyn was not as popular as it is now. Uh, And uh, my husband made uh, tables. Um, We called the company Brooklyn Farm Table. He was making them down where Ikea is now. and we called the, the tagline was made in upstate Brooklyn. And I was advertising, we were advertising on a blog called Brownstoner, which everyone knows now, but back then it was just sort of a home, homegrown blog. And the guys that originally started Brownstoner had started this business called the Brooklyn Flea. So I said to my husband, well, I'm going to sell lobster rolls under a tent at the Brooklyn Flea. And so we opened the pound in April and I sold my first lobster roll under a tent at the Brooklyn Flea. And 
We had 400 people in line because no one had sold a lobster roll in New York for 14 bucks. At the time, it was only 14 bucks. Wow. And uh, that's how it all began. Where did you get the recipe from? Is it something that you and Ralph uh, created or did you get the it lobster roll? It was my recipe growing up in Maine. Um, it was, I, I, people have preferences for lobster rolls and I thought I would offer options. Uh, so we, we actually coined the term the Maine style, which was with the homemade mayonnaise I made. And the Connecticut style, we did research and found out in Connecticut, that's where they liked it with butter. Now you can go into uh, 5,000 restaurants and they offer the main style and the Connecticut style. We got so much publicity during those first few years that, you know, can't really trademark Maine or Connecticut. So we just sort of allowed it to happen. So that's how we started. Was the Red Hook Lobster Pound your and Ralph's first business together? Oh, yes. And last. Oh. <laughs> and current. Um, when did when did you move to Red Hook, Susan? We bought a home in Red Hook in 1996. We're actually a little bit north. We're on what they call the Columbia Waterfront District. Oh yeah, uh, which used to be part of Red Hook. In fact, when I moved here, I had three empty lots next to me and a big sign in front of me that said Red Hook. Now my neighborhood has become incredibly gentrified. Um, it was really the you know we both wanted light and air and space and water. Um, my husband grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up sailing in the Chesapeake Bay and being on the water was always very important to us. Uh, we had moved from Soho to Brooklyn and uh, it was it was a wonderful community. It still is a wonderful community. Mm. And most of the people who own businesses in Red Hook, if they didn't live in Red Hook, a lot, most, a lot of what I say about Red Hook business owners is either you lived in Red Hook and opened a business or you opened a business and then you moved to Red Hook because it's very hard to get to. Mm. Well, some of the qualities that you describe about why you moved to Red Hook, you can find in other New York neighborhoods. What was it about Red Hook that you and Ralph said, oh, this is this is this is where we want to create our home, as opposed to other places that had some history and had that had water around and that may have been convenient to get to from Manhattan well, as well? It was very affordable. <laughs> it was very affordable. Oh, in the 90s, right. Yes. <laughs> in the Columbia waterfront uh, in the 90s, that would have been really uh, affordable. We bought a 3,200 square foot house for not much money. So it was very affordable. And we really liked the independent spirit of the people that lived here. It reminded me a lot of, of the independent spirit in Maine. I mean, people were who they are. There were a lot of old timers, a lot of old hippies, a lot of old longshoremen. And we just loved the mix of people. And it was a real independent spirit. People were just making their way. I mean, it was the opposite of all of New York City. It was, there were so many people just hanging out shingles and making furniture. And, you know, when we first moved here, there was an incredible maritime business, which really attracted both of us. Um, that has long since sort of passed on. But back then it was really, uh, uh, you know, about, about the docks. Uh, you know, we grew up, my kids would fish on the Red Hook Pier. We knew fishermen that were like, you know, 90 years old. Uh, we would swim in the Red Hook Pool. We called it the Red Hook Country Club. I mean, there was an incredible community. I had this, these dear friends that lived here. I think they were some of the first people in New York to have a chicken coop in their backyard. You know, I mean, it was, it was at least in the 21st century, maybe. But you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, in the 21st century, like they sort of like popularized the whole chicken movement. And uh, but it was just a wonderful, wacky. It reminded me of the East Village in the 80s. You know, and the East Village had become the gentrified, and Soho had gentrified. So it was sort of a very artistic, creative, independent community. And that's where we wanted to live. 
Well, I used to live in the East Village, and I missed some of those older music venues, but I'll tell you that uh, I haven't been in a year, but uh, I've been to the Jalopy uh, Theater uh, and to listen to Bluegrass. It's uh, great, and we have yeah. Sunny's, which is probably one of the greatest bluegrass sort of jam homes in New York City. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation of Susan Povich, co-owner of the Red Hook Lobster Pound. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. To Rediscovering New York and our episode on Red Hook in Brooklyn, my second guest is Susan Povich. Susan is the co-owner and co-founder of the Red Hook Lobster Pound on Van Brunt Street in Red Hook. Um, Susan, describe the vibe of Red Hook uh, about it now. I know why you you picked why you moved there, but but what is it like now? Red Hook is going through yet another transformation. We have vibrant retail. We have wonderful stores. We have an incredibly supportive business community. Uh, We just founded the Red Hook Business Alliance to create a local economy and to raise up our black and brown business partners. Um, I don't think I've ever been in an area where the business people support each other so much. Emotionally, mentoring. You know, we've been through a lot. Um, uh, I think the biggest issue that's going to change Red Hook is we have four last mile warehouses being built and UPS. So right now in Red Hook, they've taken the waterfront space because we're an opportunity zone and they're building millions and millions of square feet of warehouses. So while I love what Red Hook has developed into, I'm very concerned as to what it's going to be in the next five years. 
Are you concerned because you think that that's taking away real estate from other businesses that might have opened or because no, of how that's our land We're you know, the land that red clay is not very stable and we don't have a lot of streets. The problem is we're going to be inundated with trucks and we just don't have the, we don't have the infrastructure to support it. Hmm. One of the, the really uh, tragic things that happened to Red Hook, uh, I want to say nine years ago now, was eight and a half years ago, was Superstorm super storm Sandy. Um, it was a big flood, but it really also impacted Red Hook in a way that other neighborhoods didn't experience. Do you want to talk about that? Um, I, uh, so Red Hook got inundated in Superstorm Sandy. We had six feet of water everywhere. Uh, we lost electricity for three weeks. Um, very few people had flood insurance. Uh, businesses definitely didn't have flood insurance. Um, and it was hard, but we all pulled together and dug ourselves out of it and emerged even stronger. Again, it's this incredibly supportive group of people that it's like Red Hook's like a small town in New York City. I mean, everyone really knows each other. We have two bars three bars that everyone goes to. Um, we got a lot of help from outsiders who came in and volunteered, but Sandy was rough uh, and some businesses didn't survive, but most of us did. And most of us, you know, came back stronger. Have there been some new businesses that have opened up since Sandy? Oh, a lot of businesses have opened up since Sandy. I mean, since Sandy, Sandy, you know, Sandy really, there was a lot of focus on Red Hook. Uh, during Sandy. And um, a lot of businesses have opened up since then. There are new restaurants. We have a wonderful Thai restaurant. We have wonderful retailers. We have a lot of manufacturing, a lot of artisanal manufacturing. We have a foundry. I mean, I in the last five years, there are businesses opening up all the time in Red Hook. The ones that succeed are the ones that understand the ebb and flow of Red Hook. Red Hook is like a, it's like a town on the Cape. We are inundated with people three months a year and we starve the rest of the time. So if you understand how to run a business that's seasonal, that really, you know, a six month a year, five month a year business, you will succeed. If you come in and expect something different, you won't succeed. So you really have to understand the neighborhood to come in to make it work. Mm. Putting Sandy aside, and it's a it's kind of a challenging thing to do that, but um, how for the people who live in Red Hook and not only the people who come to uh, uh, go to Ikea and people who come, people like me who go to Jalopy from time to time, um, how do you think that the neighborhood has evolved since you and Ralph first moved in in terms of uh, people there in terms of in terms of its vibe? So Red Hook in the last few years has had a bunch of luxury developments. There are the townhouses they bought, they, they built on King and Sullivan. There's the Imlay building that is going to be opening with super high-end lofts. Um, townhouses are now two to $3 million, not fifty dollars to $150,000. So it's definitely, we have a school with a private school basis. Um, so it's definitely brought in a more, let's just say, well-heeled crowd. But I do feel like the people that have moved in are still looking for that unique interesting, independent world. And they're still moving to Red Hook because they want to be there and not because they want to live in Cobble Hill. Mm. So, you know, we've got incredible support from our neighbors and our community. Um, and 
you know, people come and they, they join in. Over the years, has there been anything that caught you off guard or surprising that you weren't expecting to have experienced or learned about, about the place that you live and do business in? That's interesting. Well, there's definitely, uh, it's a hard question. I know I ask good questions <laughs> or I try to, <laughs> I don't mean to stump people. I just like yeah, to be, no, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> I think that I think Tesla really surprised me. Oh. <laughs> when Tesla opened, I was like, "What?" <laughs> like, you know, this is a really big sort of trendy national brand, and like, you opened your big New York City service spot and sales room in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Um, and the Tesla guys come in all the time for lunch. I mean, they're wonderful. Uh, that kind of surprised me. I think what really surprised me is how many people learned about the neighborhood. You know, we have Formula E, but for COVID, we have the, one of the largest, the, the only electric car circuit that happens. Um, and that brings in 500,000 people in a day uh, to Red Hook. So the and then Pioneer Works opened, which is really a center of sort of art culture in New York City. So more I think what has surprised me is how many people are there. I mean, literally, when I first moved there 25 years ago, my friends in Brooklyn Heights were like, ah, I don't know, where are you moving? <laughs> and then it was a little hard to get them down there. And now everyone wants to be there. So what has really surprised me is, the, I guess, the popularity of the neighborhood. Well, I lived in Borham Hill from the 80s to the 90s, and yeah. I had a car. And, you know, then Gowan, I would drive through Gowanus, and you didn't get out of the car. And I never drove across Hamilton Avenue to get to Red Hook in those days. Well, I You're, grew up in Washington, D.C. and Maryland, and I never went to Virginia. So, you know, I mean, I get it. <laughs> Is looking forward, uh, Susan, is there anything that you wish was in Red Hook that isn't now business or otherwise? What What is Red Hook me- missing? Is that what you're asking? Yes. What 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 you th- wish? Well, not missing, but, you know, something that you would like to see in Red Hook as a business or some, you know, something that it doesn't have now. I would like to see, honestly, and I think a lot of people who live in Red Hook want this, um, some sort of master zoning plan that is rational that gives us some more affordable housing, uh, that gives us some more luxury housing, that doesn't take reward empty lots who are not paying a lot of taxes um, so that we can actually use the land that we have, but not only for last mile warehouses. Um, So yeah, I think what Red Hook really needs is a master zoning plan to build up the retail on Van Brunt Street um, to create more makerspace. I mean, we've got a lot, but to create more makerspace, um, sort of the way they did in Gowanus. But I think what, that's what's really missing in Red Hook. We are a patchwork of zoning laws. We're a patchwork of people. I mean, you could have a heavy industry next to a brownstone, you know. And so I think what Red Hook really needs is some master planning for the future. Do you do you and Ralph see your, you've opened up a number of uh, uh, other places for your your uh, 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 franchise for lobster. Do you and Ralph see yourself opening up another business in Red Hook specifically? You know, we've looked at it. Um, it's hard because of the ebb and flow of the seasonal business. I do think one thing that COVID has taught us is that maybe less is more. And we sort of enjoyed a little bit of our time. We've been able to really focus on our flagship. Uh, we are in the middle. We are 90% completed an enormous, I call it the lobster shack mahal. It's a 70-foot 
dining shack in the street that's going to open in, in a week or so. Um, and I've really enjoyed actually being able to spend more time in Red Hook rather than less time in Red Hook. So that's sort of, you know, our emotional state about it. I, I feel much more connected with the community again. I don't have to run to this venue and that venue and that venue and, you know, worry about the lobster trucks in D.C. And, and I'm really enjoying just sort of coming back to my roots. Mm. Well, I got to tell you, uh, my Ralph and I, after having prepared for the show and telling him about it, my Ralph and I are very much looking forward to visiting <laughs> the Red Hook Lobster Pound uh, in the coming weeks or a month or so. Um, Susan Povich, thank you so much for being a guest on, on, on the show. My second guest has been Susan Povich. Susan and her husband, Ralph Gorham, uh, opened the Red Hook Lobster Pound. And you can not only get Red Hook Lobsters in Red Hook, but you can also get them in various markets and in their uh, food trucks. Where can you find your uh, 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 lobster roll food trucks, Susan, by the way? Well, right now the truck is parked due to COVID. Um, let's say, last, not last summer, the summer before the truck was in Rockefeller Center all summer. We also sell our lobster rolls at Rockaway Beach at Reese Park and 96th Street under our sister company we opened called the Rockaway Clam Bar. You know, I like, I like geographical names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, right now that's it only because of COVID and we're just sort of waiting for Midtown to rise again. <laughs> and you can find about, uh, find out about the business at redhooklobsterpound.com. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us on today's journey. If you have comments or questions about the show, if you'd like to get in our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappitz, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is the great Sam Leibowitz. Our production assistant is Leah Coppola. And our special consultant for the program is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day hey everybody it's Tommy D the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic each week here on talkradio.nyc I host a program philanthropy and focus Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader the personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. 
Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc do you love or are you intrigued about new york city and its neighborhoods i'm jeff goodman host of rediscovering new york a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Empower. 